It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. He was the director of business development for Prodex, a publicly traded medical technology company. And the way that Benjamin and his company uh, came on our radar is that he's doing a crowdfunding project uh, for Monogram Orthopedics. Uh, Benjamin Sexton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bert. Pleasure to join you. Thanks. Uh, great to meet you. Absolutely. I'm glad you're here. And what uh, caught our attention is that you're doing this crowdfunding uh, type of event. Uh, you're mm -hmm. actually, if, if I understand correctly, you're actually doing crowdfunding and sharing shares of Monogram Orthopedics, correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. So it's a uh, uh, it's a company called Seedinvest. That's uh, they're a Finra registered broker dealer, and they're helping us to uh, kind of manage and administrate the shares, the offering. And and okay, so now talk about uh, Monogram Orthopedics. What makes you guys so special? Why are we? Why are you guys doing this crowdfunding? Sure. So Monogram is a medical technology company, and we're in the orthopedic space. And it's a, an incredible market opportunity. The orthopedic space has been dominated for decades uh, by four companies. And I was I was looking the other day, kind of the average age of the company, each company in the orthopedic space is almost 100 years. So we're talking about uh, a long, deeply entrenched uh, market with four major companies that account for about 76 of the total market opportunity. And the primary reason for that is the market is incredibly inefficient. So the orthopedic market is predicated on using generic implants to put in uh, for joint reconstruction. And it's just incredibly capital intensive and really tremendously inefficient. And you can see it in the uh, kind of any P&L type metric. Uh, you look at the inventory balances, you look at SG&A as a percentage of revenue versus any of the S&P 500 companies. All four of the major players are publicly traded. And you can just see it's, it's just a very capital intensive business. And the founder of Monogram uh, was, uh, he's a very sharp guy, should have been an engineer probably. Uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon based out of New York City. He was consulting with one of the first companies in the medical space doing surgical robotics, a company called Think Surgical. And uh, he really realized that the technology was there to really rethink how implants were being built uh, the economics of patient-specific, patient-optimized implants, uh, the clinical benefits of patient-optimized implants. And so he uh, basically tried to convince uh, those folks to, to, to kind of help fund his mission. Um, they were kind of pursuing a different path. And so with their blessing, he started Monogram Orthopedics. Uh, so what does Monogram Orthopedics do? Uh, we are using 3D printing instead of conventional manufacturing which is tremendously efficient. 3D printing is optimized for high mix, high volume manufacturing. And we're printing uh, basically patient optimized implants that are uh, based on a patient CT scan. So we're actually using software to build, custom build 3D printed implants that are optimized, clinically optimized for patients. And if you imagine we get kind of a organic shapes, kind of unconventional shapes out of that, uh, and we need to put those unconventional shapes into the body very accurately and precisely. So we're using a surgical robot to essentially mill, actively mill a cavity that corresponds to the implant that's being put in. So in a nutshell, that's what Monogram is. 
Uh, it allows us to be much more capital efficient. So we're bringing just-in-time inventory to an incredibly inefficient business. And there's actually some very, really solid clinical reasons to go to a patient-optimized implants that we can get into as well. So we kind of have the double double attack. Better right. business, cheaper to deliver care, and it's also uh, better for patients in our opinion. Right, so, and, okay. So and, I, and I should say, Bert, we, we do need to... Uh, we have not substantiated that with clinical data yet, and that's part of what's being funded here. But we've substantiated that with very good lab data we can get into. Sure. Uh, all right. So so you're basically doing on-the-spot uh, creation for, 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 for these items that are normally exactly. one-size-fits-all. Exactly. Or one-size-doesn't-fit-all kind of a thing. And so... Uh, anybody who's exactly. had uh, uh, some kind of a knee replacement or something like that, is that what we're talking about, taking a, a knee replacement and making it more personalized? Or what What kind of body? Exactly. Okay, knee replacement. I mean, so when you, when you look at, you know, the size increments of, like, let's say generic implants, you know, you're talking about, like, you could be talking about half a millimeter in terms of, like, a diameter difference, right? And that can be in the operating room. The surgeon might say, hey, I want this size. I want that size. And you know, the, the size increments are so small that just the inventory cost, the demand on the companies to be able to service that demand is just tremendous. So just imagine, um, you know, we, we were, we've done case studies where uh, reps have had almost $100,000 of just inventory that needs to be kind of, you know, managed for a single $4,785 case. Uh, for example. So that's it's really a very difficult business for small companies to compete in. And it's a very much a service business. So the sales reps are really a very important part of, of, of the care and treatment. So often the sales reps are helping the surgeon to identify the best implants, the best. Uh, uh, so a lot of times there's even more than one kind of vendor system. So some right. implants might have different features than other implant systems. So it's really uh, an incredibly uh, capital intensive business. And uh, that has created a certain way of thinking about the care uh, that we think has really confined oh, the imagination of uh, the engineers of these companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting that you say that because it's it's these, uh, you know, uh, these companies like monogram orthopedics that become disruptors in a static environment, right? They're, they're used to doing yes. it this way. We've always done it this way. So this is the way we're going to do it. And all of a sudden comes somebody like Netflix and boom, it changes everything. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's no longer being done that way. And then everybody starts jumping on the bandwagon. So yes, exactly. So you guys are coming in and saying, here's the new way of doing it. We're doing on-time inventory, personalized uh, widgets, if you will, and we're going to deliver a better experience at a lower cost. Mm -hmm. Yes, that exactly, exactly. And, and it's uh, you're describing it perfectly. And and what that initially resulted in was a lot of cognitive dissonance, right? You're you're saying the way we've been doing it isn't good enough, and you get an un, an incredible number of people that are kind of entrenched in the industry who are saying, no, it is good enough. No, the way we're doing it is perfect. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, look at uh, patient satisfaction and uh, you go, yeah, I'm looking at patient satisfaction. We're looking at the same data, 
fifteen uh, percent of hip replacements have to be revised. That's that's not good enough. Ten uh, percent of knees have to be revised. One in five patients isn't satisfied with their knee. Why why are we settling on good enough? Like, can't we do better? Right. Um, and there's so there's really been a lot of uh, you know for every believer there's five five people who say no this isn't going to work, but that's okay. Uh, that's I think for every new technology that's kind of how it works. Um, and we're just kind of continuing to put one foot in front of the other and try and validate what we're looking to do with with data, really. Sure. The, the only sure. thing that's going to convince people is data. Sure, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, and especially this kind of data takes time. Um, exactly. And so the other part of this that really catches my attention is that you are making it uh, at a 3D printing. Yes. And you must be using some kind of medical grade. Yes. Uh, talk about, yeah. So talk about this, this 3d printing because it's not sure. like 3d printing that uh, most people are used to. This has got to be very specialized. Talk about this. Sure. So this is uh, this is an area where a lot of investors get a little bit confused because they say, Hey, monogram, you're not inventing 3d printing. 3d printing is already being done. And this is where we say, yes, exactly. Right. So, what we're saying is, you know, if somebody's invented the inkjet printer, you know, some new form of manufacturing, ultimately what really matters uh, isn't, you know, think about Photoshop or, or uh, any software that creates something creative. At the end of the day, what really matters is what are you actually making, right? Uh, how it gets made is only a small piece of the pie. And in fact, if it's ubiquitous that everybody's 3D printing, that's better for monogram because what we're saying is the world is moving towards 3D printing. The cat's out of the bag. If you look at Stryker, for example, they have said this uh, on public public conference calls uh, that uh, over the next five to 10 years, 3D printing will be, it's currently cost competitive with conventional manufacturing and it will be cheaper to 3D print uh, over time. So that's happening. So what we're saying is, okay, let's look at this new medium that we have what is the most optimized implant that we, we can create with this medium? So Monogram is leveraging, we're not going to rebuild factories and spend hundreds of millions of dollars building a factory and developing new 3D printing hardware or new materials. We're taking what's already there and we're saying, what is the optimized output from all of this technology? So just so, so for some context, there's been a lot of R&D that's gone into this. Uh, the past five years have been a tremendous for 3D printing in the medical space. So we're now able to 3D print, and this is not just monogram, any, any company can do this, uh, can 3D print uh, a titanium alloy that is incredibly strong uh, and strong enough to pass the very high rigorous testing standards that the FDA has mandated for various types of implants. So what monogram is doing, we're saying, hey, let's let's leverage this and then let's use it to make this shape that is optimized for uh, clinical outcomes. So where all of our IP is, is really in, this is the optimized shape. Here's how you put it in. Here's how you create this optimized shape. Here's what it looks like. Here's uh, all of the key features of that shape. So that's really what we're focused on. And we're looking forward to stepping into a world where 3D printing is more and more and more common because what that means is, uh, as everybody knows, the more supply there is, the generally the cheaper things get. So the more people are using 3D printing, the more scale there is, the more supply of uh, 
of the inputs that we need for 3D printers. It just makes our raw material cost cheaper and it's uh, more widely accepted. And a lot of people don't appreciate that a lot of components are already 3D printed. So the Stryker Triathlon is one of the most commercially and clinically successful knees on the market. And it has a 3D printed tibial component. They're just 3D printing a generic shape. They're, they're not using the full potential of 3D printing, which is customization, right? So 3D printing allows people to customize and have high mix at high volume economically. That's the power of 3D printing. And we're just leveraging it for our application. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, so I guess one of my questions is, since uh, I think you said Striker is yes. almost doing, they're, they're, yes. they're like a, I'll say they have a foot in the water. It seems yes. like this idea that they would want to take it further. Why, why aren't exactly. more, more of this? Just escape. That's, that's, that's what we're saying. So we're saying this is a foregone in our opinion, and whether Monogram is the first to do it or not, uh, is secondary. We're saying this is where the market's moving. It's 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 obvious to us that the the model is too capital inefficient, and there's ways to make it more capital efficient. And 3D printing is one of those ways. So if 3D printing is kind of becoming mainstream. Then the question is, does it make sense to use 3D printing to make patient specific or patient optimized implants? And that really comes down to, are you deriving a clinical benefit from the optimizations that you're doing? This is where it's worth saying that there's a, a publicly traded company in the space called Conformis that has done tried to do patient-specific implants. The problem with Conformis, and, and we, uh, they're not a very good comp for what Monogram's trying to do because Conformis was making cemented implants that were put in with a surgical robot. When you look at knees, uh, less than almost 90% of, less than 10% of knees are uncemented, but that is where clearly the market is moving, especially for younger active patients. What is really attractive is natural biologic fixation. So implants that are actually optimized for the body to grow into and have kind of a natural long lasting implant. That's where we think the future of implants is. So really uh, we think it was kind of a solution for a problem that wasn't really there. We think the solution, the problem is how do you make press fit uncemented implants that are uh, naturally fixating versus cemented implants? And so that's that's the first thing in terms of why is nobody else doing this? Um, th the, there's a lot of technical complexity to it that lends itself to uh, just challenges, right? It's, it's not an easy task. You have to have a surgical robot that can actively mill the cavities the surgical robot has to be navigated, so it has to see what it's cutting and re-optimize based on what it's cutting. There's a lot of tricky things. The 3D printers were just not good enough. So like 3D printing is just now getting to a point where you can really depend on customized, custom-built parts that are going to be strong enough. So I guess, Bert, the, the answer is there's all of these pieces that had to come together. And now Monogram, in our opinion, we think we have a significant first-mover advantage. And because we've had a first mover advantage, we think we have a significant IP advantage because, you know, it's not only getting to market first, but it's also what you learn along the way. And we wow. think we're learning a lot about how to get this done. Uh, that's going to give us a lot of advantages. So we think this is where the market's going. Um, yeah. And, and this is and this is one of those things about being an entrepreneur that, you know, you think you're going in the right direction and, and it sounds like you are. Right. And, and what's the old? Yes. 
yeah, the old Gretzky saying, go where yes. the puck's going. Yes, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what you guys are doing. Yeah. Puck's going to be over there, so monogram orthopedics is that's where we're going. Yes, yeah, and and you know sometimes you just a lot of it is you know it's we're not the first people in the universe to come up with this. Sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes the puck, you know, you're ahead, too far ahead of the puck and it just doesn't catch up to you. Or uh, sometimes you know a defender gets in your way and you're trying to skate to the puck and there's just too much resistance. So, uh, you know, we've been just really, uh, really fortunate, and really blessed to be where we are. And uh, we think that the timing is right. Um, we, we think the market has gotten comfortable with 3D printing. You know, if there weren't any 3D printed implants on the market and we were the first, that would be another hurdle that we would have to overcome, right? We would have to convince surgeons that 3D printing works. We don't have to do that. We don't really have to convince surgeons that robotics work either uh, because there are companies now in the space the clinical data is coming out that robotics do a very good job of preparing bone for implants. So there's kind of a lot of groundwork that's been laid. And sometimes that groundwork has to be laid before kind of the disruption can happen. It's, it's it, everything builds on itself. Yeah. So I really don't want to make it seem like we're just kind of coming into this and uh, there's nothing. It, it, it really is. Uh, we think the time is kind of ripe uh, that this opportunity is kind of ripened and we're in the, fortunate position of being funded and uh you know we think we've put together a good team to go after this sure sure all right so so tell us a little bit about how all this came together because uh you were if i understand correctly you were working for a different company i think it was called prodex or, or yes something. correct and so and, and then the 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 head orthopedic in your in your in your uh company is uh in new york you're in california so how did all this come about? Talk about this. Sure. So, you know, if you go and look at almost any startup, there's almost always somebody who is kind of like the benevolent believer or like there's there's always some someone that uh, was ready or willing to, to jump in and take the risk. So uh, I met uh, Dr. Yunus back in 2016. Um, and, uh, in my, through my position at, at Prodex, uh, I was the director of business development at Prodex. My job was, uh, we were a medical technology company, primarily selling electromechanical power tools for the operating room. Uh, and I, I was, uh, trying to, uh, doing a lot of different, uh, business development efforts. Uh, we were almost like a outsourced R and D company for a lot of the larger players for various things. And, uh, I met I met Dr. Eunice uh, through those efforts, and uh, you know he he kind of talked to me about what he was trying to do, and uh, you know we started a, a basically a friendship, a dialogue, and I would I would give him kind of insights and advice, and he was trying to raise capital for his company, and uh, I said, hey, you know what? Let me let me really come out and see what you're doing. Uh, give me give me the full pitch. So I, I flew out to uh, New York City. And I met with him for a full day. He, he kind of walked me through what he was trying to do. And everything at that point was a napkin sketch, li literally a napkin sketch. Uh, he had uh, he had a one patent uh, that he had uh, filed. It wasn't an issued patent. Uh, and that was about it. He just had an idea and it was it was for hips. It wasn't even for knees. And, you know, the thing is, if from my experience trying to sell orthopedic technology, I, I understood that hardware and capital equipment was not was not where you wanted to be where you wanted to be was in the implant business because 
75 to 80 percent of the market is an implant sale it's a high margin product it's a consumable it's where the money gets made in our business and this was the first time i had talked to somebody who really had some innovative ideas about what the implant should look like and so i kind of started drinking the kool-aid and i went back to prodex and i told my boss at the time i said i think that this surgeon is onto something really interesting and i think we should i think we should support it and get involved and it was kind of a crazy idea uh and uh so i made a presentation to the board of prodex and said look i think this is going to be something like this is going to be the future of orthopedics and we should we should invest and so that's what we did uh we invested what at the time was a pretty substantial amount for prodex so an eight hundred thousand dollar convertible note and uh you know like all good investments uh within six months or so it was uh you know about a year it was impaired uh you know it was uh looked like things were not going well and uh dr Yunus called my boss and and said look i'm i'm desperate i i need help we need to do this uh i'd like to ask ben to join as the ceo and try and turn this thing around and so that's what happened so i i joined uh we were uh in a very desperate situation needing capital and uh but we you know we Basically, Doug and I both were kind of dumb enough to believe that we could do this. Uh, and, and um, you know, we had some really solid you know, engineers that were helping us. And step by step, we found believers and people who kind of put money in at, in the nick of time. And we kind of scraped it together. And it was just kind of a one foot in front of the other type of story. And then all of a sudden, you know, we started to substantiate what we were doing with some data and uh, we started to get some traction and it, it just kind of started to happen over time. But it was uh, it was certainly not a slam dunk from the start and it's been a journey, but here we are today. Uh, and, and it probably is worth talking about why we're funding crowdfunding versus VC funding or some other form of funding because we get that question a lot. And um, what any entrepreneur will quickly learn is that raising capital is, uh, it's an interesting thing to try and do. Uh, it's it's not it's not easy. Um, and when you walk into any VC's office, right, they're gonna want to know, generally speaking, who is involved. Right. And if you don't have money yourself, if you're not like, uh, hey, I'm super rich and I'm gonna put two million dollars into this, and I want you to piggyback, and it's my own money and my own skin in the game, which is how a lot of deals get funded. Is is sure. somebody starting out has capital that they're risking. Um, so you're not in that position. It's really challenging. And they want to know who's on the team. And it was basically me and Doug, right? And that's a two-person team. It, you can be super committed, but you're asking, you're telling somebody you're going to build a robotic solution with implants and all of this software. How can you do it without a team, right? So, uh, so we thought to ourselves, look, we need to convince somebody that we are passionate enough and uh, that we could, we have enough charisma to, to get people to join if we can pay them, right? And so Seedinvest was supportive to that idea. And the way Seedinvest worked was they, they had an escrow minimum of $2.75 million. So if we could hit that level, they were going to give us the capital and, uh, and then we could go out and hire people. And, uh, and that was really the catalyst for, for why we chose that, that uh, channel of funding. The VCs generally just, we didn't have a team that was compelling enough. And Seedinvest understands the chicken and egg problem of you need a team to to 
raise money, but to raise money, you need a team. And it's kind of this conundrum that a lot of folks, technology companies have. And it doesn't matter. I mean, people need to eat, right? A lot of engineers have a mortgage and you can give them whatever equity you want. If they don't have, if you're not able to pay them, it's, it's pretty tough to get them to stay. So, so that was, that was the backstory to that. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I love that. Uh, first of all, great story, uh, how it all came together. Uh, but you're right. Look, you can have super committed people who, who, who totally uh, believe in your vision, but they still got to pay the bills and their kids. And yes, exactly. So seed invest comes in and they said, okay, listen, if you can raise whatever it was, 2.5 million, yeah. uh, they, we'll give you that. And then we'll raise more money. Is that the, it, 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 yeah, exactly. So it's it's almost it was almost like a, it's a shelf offering. So we we have uh, up to twenty million dollars of capacity in the round. Okay. Um, and so we just need to needed to hit a critical level uh, where they felt okay, you guys can actually do make do make a meaningful dent in your development, and we think that's two point seven five million. So if you raise that, we'll give you the capital, and you can go hire whoever you want to hire and start building. So that's that's exactly what we did. So we. Um, you know, we hit that escrow target um, uh, around uh, basically almost around Christmas Day, uh, 2019. And then by January 20th, we had hired our VP of engineering, our director of implants. Uh, we've hired a director of software. We've hired a VP of sales. So we've been able to now grow the team. Uh, and what's happened is the momentum of demonstrating to the market that we can actually recruit the talent that uh, can do this it's kind of fed on itself uh, sure. naturally. Yeah. So, and I imagine that seed invest gets paid a small commission or do they get a flat fee? So they get a commission. Um, it's uh 8.75% of what comes in. You know, sometimes I get comments from folks like, isn't that a little rich? Uh, and it, you know, certainly um, nobody wants to pay. I, I wish it was zero. Um, right. But uh you know, there's always somebody getting paid somewhere, right? I don't know what the typical VC comp model is now, if it's, you know, two and 20 or what it is, but uh, whoever you go to is going to want to get paid. That's really how it goes. And and I would say for any entrepreneur, at some point you have to be ready to give up uh, some, you know, take the pain to, to be able to create your vision. So that's what we're doing. Sure. Well, and, and look, 10%, you know, and I, and I know it's eight, yeah. eight, per, what you say, yeah, yeah. Something, but let's just say 10%. To me, it's not what it costs you, but what can you make with it? Right. So, yes. so you raise, you know, you raise 2.7 and, and it costs 270 grand. That's nothing. Now your company's yeah. got the where, wherewithal where you can raise more money. And exactly. So to me, it's, it's a no brainer. And back to what you said, look, if, if you had, millions of dollars to begin with and you had this fully uh, uh developed team and and you know on top of that you had the reputation of hey this is my third exactly, exactly. then people would be throwing money at you exactly uh, you know so after yeah. you do this one maybe you know throwing more money at you so yeah it's, exactly it's it's um Fundraising is an interesting game. It's always it's always hardest the first time round. I, I think uh, you know entrepreneurship is tough. Uh, so yeah, well, especially yeah. at the level that you're at. Yes. You know yes. Uh, because again, if you want a nickel and dime it, you could stay small, but that is so painful. 
everything about it is painful, right? The growth is painful. The, 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 the money is painful, everything. And when you stay small and so, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, Hey, how does a company like Uber, who's not making money, doesn't have any real assets. How do they get millions of dollars, uh, in an IPO? Well, it's because like you, one of the things that you mentioned is they have this fully formed team. They mm -hmm. have a working model. They can say, Hey, look, it's working. Here's the data as you, as yeah. you guys are developing data now. And so they have the data, they have a team and they can, for lack of better terms, they can sell the vision. And yeah. so now you have uh, people who are saying, okay, let's, let's get behind it. And yep. And, and those people have a network of broker dealers. So when the IP, yep. IP goes live, they got a network of people selling yep. for yeah. them. In this case, your your team is uh, seed invest and they're, yeah. they're making it happen um, and yeah. protecting you and protecting the consumers the best possible way. Yes. I mean, it's uh, I, one thing that I think is important for some folks. It's it's one of the challenges of, of platforms like any crowdfunded uh, uh, kind of funding approach is make sure you have dry powder to, to push in the beginning because uh, it's, it is it, obviously there it's tremendously supportive, but it's very much on the management team to be active and uh, doing their best to share the story. And uh, you know, you, you really do want to have some dry powder if, if that's an avenue that somebody wants to go down. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder when you're totally out of gas and have nothing to put in the tank uh, on those yeah, yeah. platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. A lot of people don't realize when you, you know, yeah. when you're doing an IPO or you're doing a crowdfunding, you need to be able to promote that and oh, get the yeah. out there and, and show people that you're excited. A, a lot of people, too, don't realize that, uh, I mean, a Reg A offering is a lot is very similar to uh, so when you go public you have to file something called an s1 and these are you know really intense documents they need audited financial statements they're often several hundred pages long and you have to have lawyers put these together and accountants scrutinize and, and all of that and the sec has to go through it with a reg a offering you have to do very much the same thing uh, almost i mean it's it's very similar because we're able to solicit investments from unaccredited investors, which means that there's a really high level of scrutiny that goes into these offerings. So I would just caution folks, you know, just be aware that uh, if you're going a route like this and you want to have it all kind of legit, you got to have money to pay lawyers and things. So just have the money on the side where you can put all of the administrative things in order and uh, where you're not kind of scrambling and out of gas because, uh, you know, it, it, there is there is a cost that goes with with anything, um, you know, venture capital, it's a little different because a lot of times one of the big challenges with venture capital is that uh, you have to convince a VC at some point to be a lead, which means a VC is going to have to spend money and resources and time doing all of the work to make sure that all of your I's are dotted and T's are crossed and you're a legitimate company and you're uh, you have uh, the money in the bank that you say you had and you, you have, uh, uh, you know, a track record that's uh, obvious and clean. And so all of that stuff is costly. And with crowdfunding, basically, you're just the company is bearing that instead of a VC. But uh, at the end of the day, it's the same package of work. Uh, so it, there is a cost that goes with that that's important to just make sure people are aware of. 
Yeah, so uh, they just threw this up here. Uh, please note the last day to invest in, mo in, in Monogram is Friday, April 24th. And they can go to uh, monogramorthopedics.com uh, or they can go to seedinvest.com forward slash monogram forward slash series. Period. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I do have to be careful, uh, Bert, about, you know, promoting promoting the offering everything i'm talking about is really uh generally about the you know the business the the sec does have uh uh they're pretty strict about how we promote okay. um yeah so um yeah, yeah if, if somebody wants to learn more about monogram uh our website is monogramorthopedics.com uh but yeah uh, do, i do have to be careful about that i get uh, slapped on the wrist from folks yeah well sorry about that sec no no worries yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the business. Now, one of the sure. things in in, uh, in your offering, you, you you came up with a dollar figure of $4 a share. Yes. So can you talk about how you guys came to that evaluation? Sure. So so actually, that is one of the advantages of Seedinvest is they actually have uh, what's very much like a venture capital uh, investment committee that prices the round. And so you present them with... Uh, your comparable company analysis, your comparative uh, acquisition analysis, uh, your uh, what you think the company is intrinsically worth based on uh, the IP portfolio, the team, all of that good stuff. And so that they are the ones who really determine, okay, uh, here's kind of where we think uh, they have a an internal kind of return on invested capital that they like for their investors. Um, and so you kind of, Talk to them about what you think, you know, the next round would look like, what you think an exit looks like. And they kind of uh, together, you kind of back into uh, a return that they feel is uh, adequately compensates the risk uh, for their investors. But again, I don't want to make any guarantees on returns or anything like that. Uh, but that's how it's that's how it's generally done. Um, the best monogram comp is a company called Mako Orthopedics. They are. Uh, they were a publicly traded company that was bought by Stryker. Uh, they're the only robot company in the orthopedic space that uses a CT scan for their preoperative planning, uh, and uh, they're really big in 3D printing as well. So they're they're a pretty decent comp for us, uh, and we uh, feel with this round we're we're optimistic that we will be able to get to revenue. Um, when uh, Mako had its initial public offering, they raised 100 and uh, they raised fifty million dollars at a hundred and eighty million dollar valuation, um, and uh, they uh, they had about one point eight million dollars of sales. So, uh, you know, getting to revenue, getting an FDA approval is pr pretty accretive for these metal medical technology companies. Um, so we were certainly kind of back and forth with Seedinvest about that, uh, but that's that's basically where where the pricing comes. Um, so it's it's based on analysis that was conducted by Seedinvest. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. All right. What's the future for monogram orthopedics? What do you see, uh, you know, uh, happening uh, in the next couple of years? Sure. So uh, really um, what, what we think is uh, we have, we think we have a viable business model. So we think as a standalone business monogram is a business that makes sense. And that's because, Implants make sense. So when you look at the orthopedic market, the hip and knee market is an $18 billion market. And 75%-ish, uh, uh, 75 to 80% of that market is an orthopedic implant that's a very high margin consumable, let's call it. 
So uh, we have the razor blade and we think we have, uh, it's called a razor blade. It's, uh, you know, the, the implants are proverbial razor blade. And we think we have some really novel hardware. So we think we have a really unique approach to actually putting the implants in with our robotic system. So our plan is to continue to uh, raise the capital we need to be uh, a competitive business. We think the market appetite will continue to, for funding has the potential to increase uh, if we continue to execute on our milestones and objectives and put the, the team in place that that uh, needs to be put in place to continue to do that. So our plan is really to build a company. And, and um, obviously, if uh, if we uh, if somebody wanted to buy a monogram, uh, we would certainly entertain that. Our, our goal is to maximize shareholder value. So that's, in a nutshell, our plan is to build a business uh, until uh, convinced otherwise. Uh, right. Like would, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the big challenge for our space is uh, building channels of distribution is, is not cheap. It's pretty expensive. So there are some advantages at some point to getting acquired. Uh, but yeah, we we certainly uh, are not building our business in that way, if that makes sense. I think it's a, a bad strategy to only be uh, have your only exit opportunity be acquisition. Uh, and we we think that the public equity markets are really the only place that has the capital we would need if we're really going to scale this thing. Uh, private, The private capital markets, we don't think have enough dry capacity. Conformus has raised, uh, they have $500 million of uh, negative equity. So, so there's a lot of capital for these types of ideas. Uh, and uh, so part of the advantage of how we've fundraised is uh, we, we're now a reporting entity with the SEC. We had audited financial statements. We're talking to broker dealers like you talked about. We have a you know transfer agent for our shares. A lot of the administrative housekeeping issues we think are in place. Uh, you know the the Reggae offering circular that we have in place is a pretty beefy document. So our pathway to an IPO we think is made a little bit easier by having some of that housekeeping in order. Uh, so that's kind of also another basis for for how we're doing it. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and so talk about, you mentioned your distribution channels are, are uh, capital intensive. Uh, talk about, uh, let's say, some of those distribution channels sure. are what? Having a, a, a team of people out in the field? What Talk about Exactly. That. Yeah. So so you look at the typical company in the space, uh, SG&A as a percentage of revenue is somewhere on the order of 40%. The average S&P company, it's about 15%. And that's because uh, you got to pay, you know, for any young people who are looking for career opportunities, uh, medical device sales is the is a great way to go. Um, so, you know, these these folks get paid very well to uh, to move implants. And um, and so you got to have, uh, you know, an army of salespeople. Uh, you have to have the, the capital equipment. You got to have the inventory. You got to be the sales guy's got to have everything he needs to make the sale happen. Um, and so all of that is very costly. Uh, and so. Typically, small companies will focus on geographies where they uh, have uh, some kind of nice pocket of surgeons that are heavy users that uh, believe in the technology, where they can kind of generate some efficiency from just being in a in a kind of small contained geography, and then they'll use uh, distributors uh, in other markets. Uh, the challenge is that you want to be uh, you want to keep your revenue, your sales really clean. Um, a lot of distributors want to have kind of longer term contracts in place. And so that's something we're going to be very careful about. 
uh, because uh, the large companies do not want to pay distributors. Uh, they, they, they're large companies because they have they're vertically integrated in terms of how they distribute. So uh, a lot of times those distributors get kind of taken out of the mix. So you have to be really careful about uh, how you grow the sales. But we have uh, just hired a VP of sales who, uh, unfortunately, we can't share who it is yet. Uh, but uh, uh, we think that they're going to be very helpful in terms of building the sales force and uh, so on. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, uh, Benjamin, hey, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much for stopping thank by. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I love what you guys are doing uh, there at Morgan Orthopedics. And uh, thank you. If somebody else wants to find out more about Morgan Orthopedics, it's morganorthopedics.com. You can go there yes. and check out uh, what they're doing. They have some uh, a really cool video there that shows you exactly what they're doing. Uh, the exactly. animation about that video was awesome and explains everything in really a couple of seconds. Perfect. Uh, and then you can find out more about their offering there as well. Uh, Benjamin, looking to catch up with you again in a few months down the road. Thanks, Bert. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Pleasure to meet you. Good to meet you, man. Have a good one. All right. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.